Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you have been and who you become, and that it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Dave Jorner, and each week I will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire and help you and me do life even better. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's get started. Hi friends and thank you for choosing to spend some time with me today and for our regular listeners you might notice that we haven't had a solo round for a while and well one reason for that is that we've had so many incredible guests lined up with some really inspiring messages and today's guest Matt Griggs and I'll get to him more in a moment his message for me was really aspirational and I've actually started to use the meditation technique that he discusses as well I'll get to that a little bit more in a moment and before we do though we have a fan of the week and that is M Hockey and M says super five star rating thank you M really appreciate that great accompaniment for my hour and a half drive each way to work as a school teacher where I apply what I hear in the classroom Thanks, Dave. Well, M Hockey, thank you very much. It means a lot to me to know that you find a lot of value uh, listening to this podcast as you drive to school and back every day. So glad I can join you on that journey, by the way. But then also to know that you use it with your students. That means a lot to me, again, to know that our guests and the messages on this podcast are adding value to them as well. So M Hockey, thank you very much for leaving this rating and review. And if you'd like to be a fan of the week, please make sure you leave a rating and a review as well. It only takes seconds to do that and by the way are you one of our subscribers yet our list of subscribers is growing each and every single week and that's helping our ratings go up in itunes as well so thank you for that and if you're not one of our subscribers yet make sure you do that way you don't miss out on any upcoming episode I found the chat with today's guest incredibly inspiring, so much so that, as I mentioned before, I've actually started to use the meditation technique that he speaks about and the journaling process that comes with it. So Matt Griggs is a high-performance coach who comes from Sydney. A former professional surfer himself, Matt has coached world champions, Australasian champions, published two bestsellers, coached and lectured on performance to many leadership executive groups worldwide. Matt is at the forefront of performance coaching, having worked with Mick Fenning, who was a world surfing champion, Stephanie Gilmore, current and four times women world surfing champion, Owen Wright, current world tour surfer, first grade NRL players, and many other elite athletes. Matt also teaches a unique meditation, Keely, that helps people detach from disharmonious thoughts and emotions, so they may distill their natural ability to its purest point. Matt has a 360-degree view of performance and brings his deeper understanding of health, happiness, and high performance to everyone from professional athletes to business people. And as I said before, I found chatting with him incredibly inspiring and has given me clearer direction for who I want to be moving into the future. And I know you're going to find a lot of value in this chat as well. In fact, I found chatting with him so intriguing that this chat went for quite a while. So I've decided to split it over two different episodes. I found that I had so many questions about his experience on the world stage for surfing as a competitor and as a coach. And then his understanding of the mind blew me away, especially when it comes to the meditation techniques he uses called Keely Meditation. So in this half of the episode, Matt shares the ups and downs of winning and losing, Matt's transition from a pro surfer to coaching others such as Mick Fanning, his holistic approach to coaching, his proudest moments as a coach, being open to everything and affected by nothing. Now that one, by the way, I found incredibly eye-opening, the importance of detachment. And then he starts diving into Keely meditation, which again, absolutely just blows my mind. And since chatting with him, I have really been trying to use this myself. Now, please make sure you share it on Instagram and Facebook, tag Matt at Matt Griggs. That's M-A-T-T-G-R-I-G-G-S. Tag him in and tag me at Dave Jorner and at Do Life Better Podcast. So for now, let me introduce you to Matt Griggs. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Do Life Better Podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's get into it, how, uh, how we can do life better. 
Absolutely. And after doing some homework on you, Matt, I kind of feel like I, I need to um, reconnect with my really bad attempts at surfing <laughs> and maybe even get some coaching tips from you because um, being the incredibly successful surfing coach that you are, um, you know, I, I feel like I maybe need to reconnect because I, I tried surfing about 10 years ago. There was me, a mate Dave, and his father-in-law Dave, so the three Daves. We go out to a spot out in Noosa and um, I, I became really good at falling off the surfboard. <laughs> yeah, I, I never really I never really picked it up, but I'd love to. Like, I've still got it in the garage. My wife keeps saying, maybe we sell it. I'm like, no, nah, one day I'm going to take it out again. And maybe after today, man, after chatting with you, maybe, who knows. You are quite into surfing yourself before you got into coaching. Where did that all start for you? How did you go, yep, yeah, I want to give that a go? Yeah, sure, Dave. Uh, like anything, you you you're observing life, and at, at this stage, I'm just a kid, and I'm you know at the beach. I was fortunate enough to to grow up near the beach, and you watch people riding waves, and you you're like, wow, how good does that look? And yeah. and uh, you know, step by step, you you play around in the shore break, and you start catching little white waters, and then you get dumped a couple of times, think you're going to die, but you're really not really. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I stopped up at Noosa, by the way, because I was on these waves, and then the water in front would be really shallow, so I'd just freak out, I think, and just intentionally fall off. <laughs> well, that's it, you know, like this is such a, an interesting part of like my work now too that we can segue into is how instinctual fear can uh, kick in and, and get in the way of, of development and mm anything but certainly in surfing because if you get in if instinctual fear kicks in like self-protection which is based in the physiology and, and, and self-preservation uh you, your body tends to either lock up like you, you become tense or you become uh you, you stop moving you freeze mm-hmm. which is nature's way of like keeping you out of danger you know fight flight or freeze so um it can definitely inhibit uh, um your development so you know like it's a, it's quite a natural thing but as you get better as a surfer uh in the beginning you tend to try to avoid danger but as you get really good at it you you tend to look for it <laughs> <laughs> actually that's kind of like um i used to do a little bit of rock climbing and when i first started i go the safest routes possible but then yeah. once i became more confident i would try to seek out that danger but yeah i never got there with the surfing <laughs> um so yeah so you, you were an observer, you noticed lots of people surfing, you thought, yep, yeah, I'll give that a crack. When did you go from doing it for fun to actually, I'm okay at this and maybe I could compete? How did that happen? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, well, I have to ponder that. I, I would have been in my teenage years and, and uh, uh, I, I probably didn't have as much self-belief as I should have in my teenage years, but it was always a possibility. You know, and, and uh, that's for sure. And and I was starting to get some good feedback either from events that I was competing in or from people, sponsors, things like that, that suggested that, hey, you, you could have a future here. So um, that would give me encouragement, I guess, just to try more and to make decisions like, hey, I, I'm going to defer university and and compete. You know, I had some sponsors and I, I you know, I had enough to do the tour. So, uh yeah, it was like a stage-by-stage stage thing and it's sort of like life gives you good enough feedback to keep going. Yeah, nice. Was there – when you deferred uni, was there a lot of pressure to to not follow the surfing career but to actually go to uni because, you know, there's a lot of pressure these days on you must get that piece of paper. Was it an easy decision for you or was it quite difficult because of external pressure? Uh, my parents were pretty cool. Like uh, they didn't put too much pressure on me to, to do anything. So mm. – Deferring it was a pretty safe option because you still had it. I mean, I kept deferring it and never did it. So, um, <laughs> you know, I could always go back to it. And at the time, I'm still living at home. You know, there's there's less or barely any financial pressure. You know, it's really just, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'd like to experience this, you know, and, and, and give it a good crack. And I believe your first world tour trip was over in Brazil when you were 17. Is that right? Uh, well, it was my first over, like a uh, big overseas trip it was for the world amateur tiles so i at the time i was still in year 12 and uh you know halfway through hse and and uh, i had done well in the australian titles and and got into the australian team to go over there so that was a bit of culture shock that was like a, a, a pretty big thing and i guess that was part of the feedback you know i'm good enough to represent you know my country and to be a part of this world event and 
yeah, maybe I, I am good enough and maybe I can go after this. So, Matt, what was it like then going from just representing yourself in a way to being over in Brazil? Um, sponsors are, are backing you, putting a lot of money um, into you to be over there. What was that pressure like for you? It's a, it's a, it's a new experience, and and as a kid, you know, you're just you're still a kid. You 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 think, you know, you've got a lot of things covered, but as we turn into adults, you realise, wow, like it's it's a it's hard for a kid to know who they are and, and really what they want to do. So, you know, as a 17 year old, I was probably still a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say lost, but I, I, I didn't go into that event with, uh, with knowing, you know, the, the kind of knowing it takes to win, the kind of knowing it takes to really feel good about who you are and what you're doing. I, I probably went into that event just to see what happens, you know, and, um, yeah, so while it was an amazing experience, I guess I'm talking just honestly and openly how I, I felt at the time, mm. uh, and that probably reflected my result, which I think was like 13th or something. So pretty strong, I guess you'd say, result in the world, and you know it made me feel okay about it. But in those days, I probably didn't think as big as some of the guys that were winning, and and this becomes quite an interesting subject, at, at least in my mind, is. You know, if someone's going to be very good at something, it is first we've got to get rid of any limited thinking. And I probably had some of that when I was a teenager, you know, like most. How did you then get that transition from surfing yourself, being on the world stage as a surfer yourself? How did you go from that to being, you know what, how about I get into coaching instead? Uh, yeah, good question. So that took a, a, a number of years. I, you know, I finished my HSC that year and I deferred university and I started competing and, and, um, and did the WQS, which is the world qualifying series. And I gave it, well, I started really in the junior ranks and in the, the open, uh, professional circuit in Australia, which in those days was called the Australian championship circuit. And I, I did good. I was coming third one year and I, I hurt my toe and was out for a few months and missed a whole bunch of events, but ended up, you know, top five, top 10, whatever it was. And mm. so I, I kept getting enough feedback to keep going and, and, uh, so I graduated onto the WQS and doing, you know, international competitions and uh, living that life. And, uh, you know, I, I did pretty good but never really got totally close to um, to qualifying or anything like that. So uh, – and I only gave it really two and a half, three years and um, I liked it. But I – to be honest, I was having a little bit of trouble with it mentally, just the, the ups and downs of winning and losing and, and – um, you know, I had a pretty sensitive mind and I, I was having trouble with that competitive thing of having to beat people, of being beaten, of, you know, dealing with loss, uh, even though it's just a shallow loss, like it's only a surfing competition. But mm. I was probably that classic teenager who was taking himself way too seriously and, and uh, um, yeah, slightly getting in my own way. And I, I didn't really have a way to, uh, you know, to stop doing that. You know, there was nothing really – you know, no one I'd met out there that had, you know, been able to help me get out of my way and, and sort of realize my potential um, and to be able to go about that with a, a smooth, clear mind. So, yeah, I sort of just, I don't know, I, I quit. And, and in those days, too, the ways were always really small. And as a kind <laughs> of guy, uh, it was harder. And I just didn't enjoy surfing small waves all the time. So I. Mm. Yeah, I just went. That's that's enough. I, I I don't want to keep doing that. And and um yeah, I got a job at uh, at Tracks at the time, and I I continued to surf. Like I was still getting paid by some sponsors to do some promotional work and mm -hmm. um put a sticker on my board and hopefully do some good surfing. And and uh, you know I, I began riding, and there wasn't too many coaches around in those days. And I I'd always had an attraction to performance. Like obviously my life was always in that, but even when I wasn't doing it, I was reading about it, and I was uh studying it and you know some local kids were asking me to help and I was and they were going really well and all of a sudden I had some more people asking me to coach them and um and then just out of the blue I, I had a call from uh this is probably four three or four years post my kind of competitive career I guess mm -hmm. you'd say I had uh, near Ridgeway from Ridgeway give me a call and asked me who actually employed me at tracks too so know my character you know he, he knew how into physical health I was he knew how my mind worked in terms of I had a great work ethic I was disciplined I was super curious I 
was always interested in human behavior and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he was over at Rickroll at the time and he, yeah, he rang me out of the blue and asked me, you know, if I'd be interested in this job that was called the global team pit boss for Rickroll, which included, you know, Mick Fanning and, and, mm-hmm. uh, some others at the time. And there was five on the team and uh, the, the answer was absolutely yes. You know, <laughs> I, I sort of jumped at it with, with both hands and, that began my sort of full-time, uh, I guess you could say, performance coaching, uh, you know, career. Yeah, nice. Could I just backtrack a second? Because something that you said before um, about the ups and downs of winning and losing, you felt bad when you lost, but you also felt bad when you won. Yes. Yeah, you don't often hear that from athletes about feeling bad when you win. What caused the negativity around that? Um, I, I didn't – always like what I had to do to, to win. Right, like I, okay. I wasn't doing it from a great place inside of myself. You know, I, I had yeah. some ego at the time where I, which really is just a cover up for not feeling good enough yourself. And you, you, you know, I, 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 I went hard and I, you know, I, I, I won some things and I certainly won plenty of heats. And so, and there was plenty of good feelings with it too, but, um, the bad feeling came from, uh, I don't know, like just being over competitive and, and not liking who I was to achieve yeah. that, you know. And I mean, I, I think any competitive person will know at some stage of their life they have probably won some things at the expense of, you know, friends or of, you know, like being a, a, a great human being. So, you know, as I progressed through my life and career, I, that was something that I really wanted to marry because that was something that I didn't get right myself in the beginning was how do you, you know, perform at a really high level, but, uh, you know, be a great person in the process. And that was something that, you know, I was just starting to get a glimpse of, you know, via my own suffering of how to start studying that. Well, so as a young guy, already understanding who you want to be, your values, your morals, the type of person you want to be is actually being influenced by your pursuit, by that competitiveness for the surfing. Um, you wouldn't hear of, like, I, I don't know, like, I wouldn't think that'd be very common for many young blokes or, or girls for that matter of that age to have that great sense of awareness, um, that, that moral compass to be like, you know what, I, I place more value on being my best self holistically over winning this world championship competition. Where did that awareness come from for you? Uh, it just felt innate, you know, like, I mean, keep in mind, I, I, I know some of these things looking back, but at the time, you know, I, you're just a kid, you know, bumping along and, and learning your lessons. So uh, I, I felt like there was always some uniqueness with me, you know, mm-hmm. where I, I saw things differently and I, I, I always had some pretty extreme sensitivity and always had an attraction to, you know, like spirituality and, and things like that when people were picking up, you know, sci-fi books and things like that I was picking up the spiritual ones as a teenager so I I was always attracted to those more esoteric subjects and and um the more abstract things uh so yeah I guess you could say I'm, I'm just unique in that way and um so that became part of my evolution so then you got picked up by Rip Curl to coach someone such as Mick Fanning how did you make that big step up because I, I believe it was quite a new role at the time as well yeah, it was, uh, you know, not just for Rickle, but for anybody to do that. So really the, the starting point was just a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was, you know, we, we want someone traveling around just helping these guys, you know. So basically just help in any way you know how. And, and my knowing how was really in, in the, the theme of health and performance. And so that was how I saw I could best help. And, and um, you know, I, I – I was learning on the job, really. I, I guess I was starting to become humble enough where if I didn't know something, we, we created quite an amazing support network where we, we learned from other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, and Mick taught me probably more than I taught him, especially in the beginning. And, and uh, we were both just really curious in, in developing and, and getting better and better and, and just kept asking questions of ourselves. You know, I, I – by necessity, I had to keep asking questions of myself as a, as a coach and as a, you know, a human trying to be a coach and Mick had to keep asking questions of himself as a surfer and, you know, one that wanted to be a world champion. So we just tried to solve those um, problems together and, and uh, in doing so, we both learned a lot and, and that was part of our pathway. 
Yeah, so did you two gel pretty quickly or was there like a, a teething period or was there, or, or was that all about those, the, asking the questions and being humble enough to know, you know what, I don't have the answers, so let's find out. How did that new relationship go there? Um, yeah, it was pretty smooth. Um, well, it was hard in the beginning because Mick got that injury like the, pretty much my first month of, of working for Rick Curl where he tore his hamstring off the bone. So yeah. the baptism of fire, we spent a lot of time together early. So I think he saw that I was a person that could really be there for him. So we, we mm-hmm. you know, even though he started on in a, we started together with a bad experience for him, it was probably good for us. Um, yeah. Um, so we just from that point developed together, you know, and he, he's just a good dude, you know, like Mick's a great guy. He's so open to learning. He, he's super disciplined and, you know, he, he can, he can take feedback. He can take, um, a different person's viewpoint. He's strong enough to make his own mind, but he's just very open to learning, you know? So he was, he's the perfect student if you're going to be a coach. Mm. And, in terms of, again, asking questions of other people, if you don't know the answer, um, what would be your areas of strength? So when you started coaching Mick and the rest of the team, what was your main goals in terms of helping them progress as much as possible? Um, I think my, first of all, my holistic mindset, like I, I had, I always approach things holistically, like, um, what are all the pieces at play here? So mm-hmm. I guess I was, a, you know, a, 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 I knew a, a lot about, or sorry, a little about a lot in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I was, I had a pretty good understanding of physical health. I'd already done quite a bit of study on, you know, nutrition and breathing and, and exercise and recovery and all the, and, you know, sleep and, and, and things like that that would help, you know, form a body that was unbreakable or that was um, capable of, you know, winning plenty of heats and performing at a high level. And that's really what it's about. It's about, you know, creating a mind and a body that can live at that level without breaking. And, um, you know, I, I knew the mental aspect, but at the time I, you know, I didn't understand the Keeley. I didn't understand a lot. And, um, so we had our own, own little methodologies, but, uh, so that was to come later. Um, certainly because I'd been, you know, in a, a decent enough surfer myself for so long, I was a good reader of the ocean, so I could help mm. him in heats and where to sit, in, sit and, and how to strategize for a heat. So in that kind of role, you, you, you're you really just an extra set of ears and eyes and you can help, um, you know, uh, strategize, not just in terms of how do you develop a program to attack a world title, but how do you develop a strategy for a heat and, you know, what does that look like? And so we just ran ideas past each other and, and uh, um, yeah, but to, to answer your question, I, I, I think my point of difference was that the way that I thought was very holistic. Um, so if there was something I knew I would say, and if there was something I didn't know, we would, we would find the answer by other means. I know that for me doing these programs for 10 years now around Australia, there's things that I did in my early days that I kind of cringe at the thought of now and I definitely wouldn't do it. I wouldn't include them in my programs or the way that I um, interact, that type of thing anymore. How about, how about you? Um, and obviously for, for me, those biggest mistakes created some of the biggest learnings. How about for you, in your early days of coaching, are there some things that you did, some strategies, some whatever, that you're kind of thinking now, why did I do that? Because that really didn't work. Yeah, totally. The, the the immediate thing that comes to mind is uh, is just trying too hard. You know, like uh, I, I never really had a problem with discipline, and I I, I I put in. You know, like I worked really hard, and, and um, if anything, I, I worked too hard. Where that was probably some of my errors errors in the beginning. You know, that I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm I'm getting a lot be- better at is just delivering the right amount of information and enough. Um, Sometimes when you've got that feeling of, of I need to do more, you, you, you tend to give more than is necessary and, and that can confuse people. So um, that would be my take on that. If I look back and what were some of my mistakes would be would be that, yeah, just trying too hard and, and pushing myself too hard and probably pushing them too hard as well in the process. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So how do you know that your coaching is starting to click with the surfers, with Mick, with anyone else, how do you know that you've reached this point now where, yeah, we're start, they're getting it, we're starting to gel, you can see the outcomes? Some, sometimes it's, I mean, every surfer, like every human, has a different way of expressing the same thing, but they're generally learning the same things. 
you know, a cutback is a cutback, but everyone has a different way of expressing it. So, mm. you know, I can teach some basic technique on how to do a cutback, but I, I, I'm really big on, on people keeping their individual style and having their own form of self-expression. Mm-hmm. So you, you really start seeing it work when uh, when people develop, you know, and, and for me, back to that holistic nature of how I think and how I like to develop people, uh, when you see something click, you know, like they're they're fearless in something that they used to be fearful in or they're, you know, a turn they've never been able to get before. They've, they've nailed for the first time or, um, you know, they've put together a combination that we've talked about, but they haven't actually executed yet. So keep in mind our improvement, you know, and this is where, you know, we're always getting used to pushing or opening our boundaries is, um, your improvement is coming from what you don't know. So you, you've you've got to constantly come up with ideas, you know, for for improvement and and put them into action. So when those actions turn into results, then you see development, and that's when you know it's working. So then, with all your time coaching elite surfers um, who are world championship winners, what has been? Like, is there one proudest moment? Yeah, I guess Mick winning for sure, you know, in terms of my career as a coach when he won that first world title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's such I, – I, I feel like I need to be humble or just real here and say, you know, he, he did it. I, I was just a very small percentage in helping him. Um, but, you know, it's something I, I felt good about for sure. Like I, I can remember being in his hotel room straight afterwards, you know, when all the noise had died down and – him looking across and, you know, saying, we did it. You know, I, I, I just remember that so clearly. And it was that was probably a proud moment, you know, where you, so much effort, you know, towards a, a, a common goal had been achieved. Mm. But then, you know, like there's a pause. And <laughs> isn't this so life, you know, there's a, there's a pause for five seconds and, and he says, now what? <laughs> Well, isn't this, you know, like we're so fixated on these second point things and this is something I'd, I'd love to get involved with you today is um, we're all seeking something outside of ourselves and then when you get it, that's typically the response is, well, now what? Because mm. you didn't get what you were looking for and, you know, it, it brings a feeling of temporary satisfaction or pride, like you said, where you can feel good about, you know, achieving something and, and you know, achievement is, is a great thing and, you um, but often, you know, when it's outward achievement, uh, it's it's met with that kind of temporary satisfaction, um, where it won't be too long before you start asking that natural question of well, now what? And you know, do you just keep chasing things outwardly, or do you start to look inwardly and start to marry the two, where your outward development is is really uh, taking second fiddle to your uh, internal development, where you're growing as a person first and as a professional second. Um, that was something that had to, you know, change in my own personal life. And, and since that happened, I, I really saw the value and it's now shines through all the coaching work that I, that I do. Um, so yeah, that, I think that was when I started sort of asking deeper questions of, you know, the human behavior and what drives us and, and, you know, what's the point, you know, like what's the point of working your, your ass off and, and, uh, going hard and you know and you just look back and go god i didn't really relax through all of that i you know like we had our fun that's for sure but probably could have had more fun probably could have you know made that a little bit less harder you know because we it's known for his work ethic and i guess i have a lot of work ethic too but yeah you naturally just which is a natural human thing you start asking questions of yourself and and you know we are geared towards evolution so it's always in the in the interest of evolving yourself and um so yeah as you can see i'm always asking questions of myself and of life and seeking you know answers on what i feel like is important so then okay if you are coaching someone now they've just won a world championship now and they do ask that question of now what but by the way, it was very cool that Mick said, we we won. Not I won, but we won. That was quite nice, yeah? But right now, if, if you're coaching a world championship winner and they're like, now what? What would actually be your next steps there? Um, I would want to know uh, what have you learned from this experience? You know, like let's really capture um, how have you grown as a person be- before we move on to what's next. Let's look closely at, at, at where we are right now. 
Um, so we move on with greater awareness. Yeah, I'd be asking those kind of questions, you know, like what did we, uh, you know, first of all, let's take a moment to enjoy this. Let's take a moment to um, <laughs> celebrate and, and uh, because you deserve that. Mm. And then once down from that, you know, what, what have we learned from this? You know, how have we grown as a person and what have we understood about ourselves? And, and based on that greater understanding, how would you like to continue? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to have let the student have control of their own development, you know, I, uh, because really they, they do anyway and all you can do is make suggestions and, and give insights and, and give knowledge and, and, and be an example of a life worthy of being lived. Um, so, uh, yeah, leave the control with them but but hopefully foster just great self-understanding. So um, every new step is, is from a greater person that has more self-awareness and, and more awareness of what they're doing and, and why they're actually doing it. So you just mentioned then self-awareness and increasing the self-awareness, the importance of that. Is that a place that you would start then? If you are taking on a new elite sports person, is that where you would start working on their self-awareness or is there somewhere else? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be asking a lot of questions and um, because, you know, what uh, – Really, a coach helps someone get from A to B. You know, like that's that's the the goal. The A to me is is where you are right here, right now, with mm. with your understanding of yourself as a person, and and the B is is the goal, the target. You know, where you want to go. So, how do you know where you want to go if you don't know who you are? And there's so many people, particularly young ones, that are setting goals that you know I'm hearing it, but I'm not feeling it. Um, you know, so it, it's. I think it's important for people to do the internal work and, and not just mindlessly go after things to no point, you know, to actually uh, have that self-understanding where they not only uh, know what it is that they they feel drawn to because that to me is what success is. It's, it's fearlessly going after whatever it is that you feel drawn to. Um, so if, if this particular athlete is, is, is attracted to surfing and attracted to, you know, whatever sport I'm working with someone in um, and they just – love it you know which is the best attraction by the way and and uh, then you know we start exploring that what is uh, you know what is it you love about it and 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 what is it you want to go after and you know what are your strengths and your you know potential weaknesses where are the missings and you know what is it uh you want to experience from life not just you know as an athlete so i can get to know the person and and they can get to know themselves and you know, we can just have a, a, a much more full experience of life, not just a, a shallow experience of winning competitions, full stop. Nice one. A, a fuller experience of life and not just winning competitions. I like that. I like how a large part of your focus seems to be on uh, mindset, overall well-being, and then as you mentioned right from the start, the holistic approach. So you as a whole person who happens to be a pro surfer. Um, seeing the the much bigger picture, so it would there be like um, I believe you have like a four step framework that you go through when you're coaching someone. Is that right? Uh, in sport, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's slightly different in the corporate world, but in sport, sure. I do. I, I just look at you know the physical side of things, mm -hmm. uh, which I would break down into uh, breathing, exercise, sleep, nutrition, and hydration. Uh, the technical side of things, which is how their body is moving in relationship, in this case, surfing with the wave and the surfboard, um, so surfing technique. Uh, tactical, which I would look at as, as uh, you know, heat preparation, event preparation, um, execution, uh, feedback, um, you know, understanding what your goals are and how do we put that into a process, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but once you've got a process, really it's just sustained effort and how can you have sustained effort if you don't have the willpower? So the biggest thing is the psychology and um, fostering a mind that is open to everything affected by nothing that has the willpower to go through the inevitable challenges, that has the willpower to know who you are and to know what it is that you're going for. If you don't have that, it tends to be a pretty shallow foundation to work from so you don't get long-lasting results or you don't get the sustained effort required to compete or to perform, let's say, because not everyone's going to be a competitor um, at a very high level. Um, so the more I, I, I became I, – sorry, the more experience I had as a performance coach, the more I, I realized the mind um, is the most important thing. But, you know, in those days uh, – 
because I was different in the way I saw things. You know, Mick was onto it, but not everyone was. And I used to get a few weird looks. And (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing meditation for? But keep in mind, this is me smiling right now because obviously I'm okay with it. But (laughs) my weakness. well, no. okay, you're, you're okay with it now, but back at the time, were there moments of self-doubt then? If other people who were successful, if they were judging you, did you doubt? Um, I never doubted what I knew. I just got triggered that no one else could see it. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Like, God, how do they not see this? Yeah. Um, they realize that it's their lack of openness right now that's stopping them from learning, or don't they realize that it's their fear or their, their inability to think big or, or, you know, that's stopping them. So, it, you know, it, it didn't cloud or it didn't confuse what I knew because I, mm-hmm. you know, was still evolving and still learning more things, but I knew what I knew. And um, so I, I would more get, you know, these days I'm, I'm much more detached, but in those days I probably got a little triggered by people that couldn't see what, what I felt like I could see. So I was just trying to find people that, you know, could. And, and um, yeah, so, I, I mean, as always, you get a bit of – a little bit of ridicule when you sort of see things differently and when you try different things. But I've just gotten used to that over the years and I've always just done my own thing because of that, because I, I don't want to really attract unnecessary attention. I've never been about, you know, judging anyone else. I I just said about what I um, see as high performance Mm. and, and how we uh, understand it and how we go about it. Um, yeah, but the the back to the point, the, the mind is the biggest thing. And I mean, we look back at the history of sport, you know, you go back to Dawn Fraser, who who considered it cheating if you trained. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> like, and then, you know, you've got the, the Tom Carrolls and the Mick Fannings that are starting to step it up in, in terms of physical training. Mm. But everyone around them was going, laughing at them going, you know, what are you doing that for? It's just dangerous surf and, and, you know, get on the piss on the weekend and, you know, eat pies and drink beer. And But, uh, you know, someone, there's people like the Tommy Carrolls and like the, you know, Tom Currens and the Mick Fannings that, that step out of the this, uh, you know, cultural paradigm you know or or accepted way of being and challenge it and challenge themselves to a new way and they're the champions and and you know they they might get a bit of as the coaches that see that too get a bit of you know uh ridicule in the beginning but once they see the results and they tend to follow and and um that's that's tends to be how it's always worked that's it they they judge something that they don't understand but once they see the proof they're like oh hang on there might be something in that and they start to follow it's much safer to follow than it is to lead. So most oh, people sure. will, will follow the pack. Um, but, you know, what, what I help people do is to learn to see uh, from their own mind so they can sense, you know, what is for their highest and best good and, um, you know, not just for the pursuit of their, you know, uh, athletic or, or mm. personal interests, but, you know, growing as a human being as well and, and um just so be it, you know, like be fearless in the pursuit of what it is that you feel most drawn to and you feel most attracted to. And, you know, like the only way to avoid judgment is to stop doing stuff. And, and, um, you know, that's, I don't think anyone's up for doing nothing. Um, so just accept that you will get some judgment. You will get people's opinions. Um, but the most important opinion is your own. So, um, don't worry about that. You know, like every now and again, someone might say something that's actually valuable and you might be able to learn from it, but try to be, uh, detached when it comes to other people's opinions. And here we get into psychology again, because I'm using this word detachment, you know, which is mm. usually in spiritual circles, not performance. Um, and to me, detachment is the ultimate strength because you can be physically strong, which means, you know, I can put a hundred kilos on your back and say squat and you can, you know, do five reps and do four sets and, you know, that would go, yeah, you're pretty strong. But if I put, you know, five people around you that were really judgmental and said, go for three minutes, have a minute off, go for another three minutes, have a minute off, could you handle that without being triggered? That to me is the ultimate mental strength is, um, is not, is the opposite to the body. It's not what you can carry. It's how much you can not. Mm. So training and to, to be strong is, is learning detachment and that's why we need to get into areas like uh, for this, the, the real serious student of performance and personal development needs to get into, you know, understanding the mind and psychology and train it, you know, via a, a, a tool like meditation. 
Yeah, so I was going to ask you, how do you do that? Before you, you mentioned open to everything affected by nothing. And yes. I like that analogy you gave just then of, yeah, you can do the squats, but can you actually have people yelling stuff at you, judging you for, you know, 90 seconds on, 20 seconds off, that type of thing. I love that analogy. How do you create that mindset? Um, you mentioned uh, meditation just before, and I'd love to hear more about the Keely meditation. So you know, is, is that a key to allow yourself to be open to everything and affected by nothing? Yes. Absolutely, because uh, you know we've we've been talking on, on really second point things this this whole time. You know, mm. surfing or physical health or you know trophies or, or you know uh, training systems or goals. So you know the basic thing. There's two points to everything in life. There's there's you know we live in a, a dualistic uh, environment, and there's what you're uh, conscious of, and there's where you're conscious from. And most people are just working on second point things, you know, which is really just people, places and things. So my uh, work is on not only understanding people, places and things because it is to your benefit to to understand, you know, people because you've got to learn to work with them. You know, it shouldn't be a big surprise when people, you know, opinionate and judge and, you know, it's it's just part of what humans tend to do. Um, so understanding your fellow humans is a, is a, you know, to your benefit, understanding things like technology or, you know, uh, physical, you know, gym equipment is to your benefit and places, you know, so when you go to Hossigore, you know what the environment's like, you know that the tides are bigger, you know that the food's different, you know, you, you understand your outward environment, but, um, what I'm talking about, and this is the segue into the mind and, and mm. Keely meditation is understanding your internal environment is, is where you understand it from. So uh, meditation has is, is been around for thousands of years, and the whole point of meditation is to uh, become more aware and, uh, and, and less stressed, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's the original definition, it means to be at one point. So like I said, there's two points to everything. There's what you're focused on and there's where you're focused from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keely meditation is, is a very pure meditation in, in the pure definition of it is that you bring your mind into one still point without an awareness of a second point at all. Super difficult to do, but this is quite literally detachment. You stop looping through negative thoughts, you know, like the negative self-talk that people can have. Mm-hmm. You stop looping through other people's negative thoughts. Like if someone says something that's affected you and you can't stop thinking about it for minutes, hours, if not days, you train yourself to detach. Um, so that's one of the byproducts, and there are many, of, um, of Keely meditation is you, you learn detachment, and that is because it is a, a very pure meditation versus some of the other things out there that I see, which are really second point exercises, um, you still get great benefits, by the way. So please don't take this, you know, all the people out there as a diss, because um, uh, it's not. Uh, there, there's just benefits to everything. But uh, when you fo- actively focus on something else, it becomes an active concentration exercise. It's a doing. Does that make sense? You're yeah. actually doing something whereas meditation is supposed to be an inactive being process so if you're concentrating on the breath or if you're concentrating on a mantra or on you know something that you're visualizing then you're doing something Hmm. um we're human beings so this is the practice of understanding the being part of you and and uh detaching from doing just for a little bit so you can um ultimately bring the doing and the being part of you together in harmony and not have them uh, in disharmony uh, and, and separated. Nice one. And that kind of links with the, we're human beings, not human doings. Um, and so just that ability to stop and to simply be, uh, I still find it quite difficult. So in terms of the Keeley meditation, how exactly do we do it? Uh, well, it's only a five-minute practice and, mm-hmm. and – um, you know, I can talk briefly on how to do it, and, and for those that wanted to chase it up, there's an app now you can get that's, I think it's only three bucks, so you can oh, wow. check that on, um, I think, is it called Google Play or on App, app Store? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's on all devices now, and, and uh, you can check that out, but basically you, you, you feel or you sense your conscious awareness at the top of your head, you get into mental feeling mode, uh, and you take a couple of minutes to come down through both hemispheres of the brain, relaxing through any tension. Um, and keeping self-control. So every time a thought comes that you didn't direct, it, it tends to be a, a lack of internal control. So you, you'll slowly uh, bring your attention down through both hemispheres of the brain 
and look at that as an opportunity to not only practice self-control but to relax through any tension because thinking is tension-based and people spend so much time in their head, you know, that it's, it's, it's a good um, recovery for your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll take a couple of minutes to slow the and come down as a horizontal plane of energy down to what's known as the surface of the mind at eye level. So with this practice too, you not only have the meditation practice, but you have some anatomy to work with, um, which we can get to next after I run you through the technique. Mm. So the surface of the mind is at eye level. You'll stay there for a little bit longer and um, and just be still. Bring it into a still point, right about where our Indian friends put that red dot. This is where your conscious awareness operates. Um, which is just a term to describe how aware you are. It's where it naturally resides. So you'll be still right there, calm and open for another 30 seconds or so, and then you'll drop down into what's called the Great Achille where your center is, and you'll center yourself um, close to where your heart is and and, uh, be still. The whole goal and the whole discipline is to achieve one-pointed stillness. Very difficult to do. You'll probably only have brief moments of it, Um, And that's a win, trust me, in the beginning. Uh, And then once you come out of the practice, then you have time for self-reflection where you'll pick up your journal and write some notes on, on, you know, the quality of your life, the quality of your meditation practice, what's been happening in your state of mind and um, start not only troubleshooting the mind, but, you know, just becoming aware of who it is you are and and what it is that you, you know, you you want to experience in this life and, um, you know, write that all down and that should serve as some actions to follow. So if I'm trying to focus on that spot in my forehead, just behind the back of the forehead, are you trying to sense anything there? Are you trying to feel anything? Are you trying to yeah, – because I suppose the meditation that I do, like the mindfulness, is all about that second point. I'm doing like a body scan or I'm letting thoughts go, that type of thing. So what is it that you're actually trying to sense? Nothing. Right, Okay. <laughs> That's simple and that hard. <laughs> yeah. Try to not think. You know, anyone can think. Show me someone that can stop it. Mm. That's the goal. Stop thinking. Stop concentrating. Stop attaching to a second point. Super difficult, but that's the goal. That's the discipline. So how long did it take you before you could actually do that? Still haven't mastered it. <laughs> <laughs> After how many years now? How long have you been doing it for? 12. Right. Yeah, I, I have like long, long periods of stillness now, but, uh, you know, I still haven't mastered it. And, um, you know, I, uh, it shows you something about the depth of this practice that in 12 years I haven't mastered a five-minute practice. Um, but ask me if my life's better, oh, my God, like way beyond what I thought was possible. And and that, to me, is the clear difference. I, I've done a lot of other techniques and, and – um, you know, we were playing around with them back in the day where we do yoga nidras and we do breathing exercises and body scans and things like that and visualization techniques. And um, I always felt better afterwards. Mm. You know, it made me, it relaxed my nervous system, which was a good thing for me because I was probably running a little too tense in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very good for me, but uh, it was a very temporary thing. I would sooner or later just return back to my habits. So, um, I never really grew as a person. And as soon as I started doing this, I started to detach from like uh, negative ways of being, which is I can explain as we go through the basic principles of the Keeley. I started to detach from stress and from, uh, you know, things that just weren't working for me. And, and uh, I started to grow as a person. I started to become more fearless. I started to become more aware, um, like real things were starting to happen. And, and um, so it was a, a really good feedback, you know, that just I knew this was giving me so many answers to, uh, you know, the questions that I had. And all I needed to do was just quieten my mind. And, and like the masters have said forever, the, all your answers are within you. So I just created that time, you know, like every day to quieten my mind. And, and um, you know, I, I just, even as a tool for everyone right now, like, you spend so much time in your intellect thinking about things, you know, why don't you just put aside some time every day? You can call it creative time if you will. And, uh, and just don't think be open and, and don't drift, just be receptive and, and, and see, see what comes to you. This is, you know, where some of the greatest ideas come from. It's where some of your greatest realizations come from is when you're actually not thinking, um, you're just open and present. 
So the Keeley helps you, and certainly Keeley meditation helps you access that state where you become a lot more open and a lot more aware and a lot less distracted. So all of a sudden, so many more ideas are coming, so many more realizations are coming. And in, as a background to this, you have far less fear, so nothing's stopping from actually actioning them. So all of a sudden, your development just becomes um, exponential. Well, there we go, everyone, and I hope you found this first half of the episode as helpful and beneficial as I did. I know that chatting with him got my mind thinking about the changes that I could make, particularly when he started talking about the Keely meditation. And I know you probably have a lot of unanswered questions about that. I want to find out so much more. So that will be coming up in the next episode next week as we continue this conversation with Matt. And again, he will dive a lot deeper into Keeley meditation and the outcomes that you can expect when you commit to using it yourself as a daily practice. Again, I know that I'm going to be trying to commit to that for at least three months. See how we go after that. A year would be excellent. So I wonder if there be someone in your life who'd really benefit from hearing this message from Matt today. If so, please share it with them. It's a very simple, easy process. You can do it as a text message or a Facebook messenger or even just share it on Instagram with someone who you know, again, will really benefit from these messages. If you aren't a subscriber yet, please join us. Please subscribe. Please become a formal member of the Do Life Better community. We'd love to have you part of this. Also remember about the closed group on Facebook, which is called Do Life Better Community. Jump on there. We'd love for you to be part of that one as well. If you haven't already, make sure you leave a rating and a review. And I can't wait to join you next week for the second half of this interview with Matt Griggs. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. And have you subscribed yet? By subscribing to this podcast, that enables you to get notifications every single time a new episode is released. In your podcast app, you can find all the show notes for every episode. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can do so via email at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you think will benefit from these messages, And now it's time to get out there and do life better.